Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 40 of the Comfort Films podcast. We are going to be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Great movie. Such a great movie. Such a great movie. So Raiders of the Lost Ark was released on June 12th, 1981, if you can believe that. Wow, my yeah. sisters were six days old. I was like just over four years old. Yeah. Totally nuts. It's the last time my sisters were likable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Astra and Tara. But not really, because you guys aren't listening to this anyway. <laughs> And you also know that when it comes to siblings, I'm always going to go for the joke. <laughs> Just that's what they're there for. <laughs> oh, man, you're awesome. Does <laughs> <laughs> she mean awful? I, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's like you're pretty amazing. Like you're a formidable warrior. You know uh, what I mean? Like we'd see you on the field and we'd go, oh, it's Georgia. <laughs> it means business or now. a terrible terrible person either way i'm accepting it it's fine i think you're great that's Thank what you. i'm saying I think you're great. <laughs> right. so like back when i was four my dad took me to go see raiders the lost ark that's a great father-son movie when you're a little kid absolutely i mean i had no idea what it was about i'd seen no trailers i haven't even seen an ad in the paper and like back in the day my dad always used to get advice from his friends at work and I gotta tell you, overall, his friends had some pretty damn good advice about what to see. That's good. Yeah, like they loaned us Highlander. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I mean that that's going into the like future. Action adventure stuff. Yes, yes. They were like, "This is good. This is good." We're like, okay, this is good. So, we go to a place in Westboro, Massachusetts, called the Ruth Gordon Flick. That was the name of the theater. And the flick was like a small theater chain in the area at the time. Mm -hmm. And Ruth Gordon, of course, amazing, amazing actress. Yes. You know, I mean, she won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar at 72. <laughs> That's awesome. For Rosemary's Baby. She was great in that. But, I mean, Harold and Maude is my main Ruth Gordon memory because I love that movie. Oh, yeah. And, like, literally no one else could have done that no. except for her. No, I mean, Harold and Maude, that's definitely going to be making an appearance. Oh, here. heck yeah. We yeah. love that thing. We have it on Criterion. We love it. We'll get it any way that it comes. Now, it's that's so another one I didn't see until way later in life. I think you also. I think yeah. we saw it together. We did. I didn't see it till much, much later. People talked to me about it. They told me that I'd like it. I knew nothing about it. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll check it out yeah. sometime. I thought the know, premise put sounded it on the weird, list. <laughs> but then we watched it, and I was like, oh, no, I love this movie Same. insanely. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Yeah, It's a movie that I'll just keep watching over and over again. Yeah, but unlike Raiders, which you also watch over and over, but you saw when you were four. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, well, so get this. So I looked it up, and there was a New York Times article, okay? And uh, it was from August of 1979. And they actually uh, talked about the dedication of this flick theater to Ruth Gordon. Mm -hmm. So Ruth Gordon was in attendance. And Ruth Gordon stood about five feet tall. She's amazing. And so she stood on a bench in the lobby, you know, when she addressed everyone. And she has that really great voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's like, I love attention. <laughs> That's great. I, I mean, well, it's crazy because she was born in 1896. Wow. In Quincy, right? Yeah. So it's like, wow. You know what I mean? This is like a living 
legend. Yeah. So 1979, you know, and I mean, she was standing in this lobby and the lobby of the flick was amazing because it had this collage of posters. And I would say probably the most prominent one of the collage was uh, Every Which Way But Loose. Okay. You know, because she played Ma, you know, in that and then in the sequel, Any Which Way You Can. She's hilarious. Yeah. Right? So that's a crazy movie. Yeah, I mean, an orangutan named Clyde. Yes, my um, man. Yes, yeah. That that was my kind of movie. Like sold immediately. <laughs> I've watched that so many times, so many times. Never gets old. So in terms of like the dedication, she said, "I'm honored. May it make memories and money." <laughs> <laughs> Practical, Reese Gordon. Amazing. Yeah. So it's like. It's this incredible theater. I have so many great memories there. It was this plaza in, in Westboro, Massachusetts. There used to be a place next door called The Wiz, and it had all of these toys and RPGs. Like, oh, nice. I bought Dungeons & Dragons stuff there. I bought, like, a Star Wars RPG there. I bought something called, like, Top Secret that was an <laughs> RPG there. Like, it was like you lived your best life at The Wiz, <laughs> you know? So it, it was amazing. It, and that plaza, just, man, so many memories. Um, so I actually looked it up because, you know, the flick, Ruth Gordon flick did close. It closed actually in 1997, which is kind of wild because they dedicated it to Ruth Gordon in August of 79. Mm. Right? Well, she was born in 1896 and she won her Oscar in 1969. So Ooh. 96, 69, 79, 97. That's like, yeah, that's really connected. Yeah. That wow, <laughs> wow! You can't, yeah, you can't plan that kind of thing. That just happens, and everyone goes, "That's amazing! <laughs> How did you do that?" Yeah, but that's cool because that theater is really close to your house too. Yeah, I, I loved it. It wasn't there when I lived in Massachusetts, but I remember like every <laughs> every time we would drive by the plaza, you and your mom would both be like, "Oh, that's where the flick used to be." So I can tell it was a place that really was a big deal for you guys. It was huge. I mean, I saw Pulp Fiction there for the first time. Wow. Yes, yes. So seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark with my father, wow, I don't really have the words for this one. It's just like, it's more of a feeling, you know? It's like, we got there, there weren't that many people in the theater, we had fantastic seats, and I had no idea who Indiana Jones was. I had no idea this was the beginning of this, like, franchise that yeah. would change lives. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing. Like, this is a great first movie in a series. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sets everything up really well. And honestly, I like all the movies at least a little bit. Even Crystal Skull. I know it's cheesy and weird. But when we go back to the first <laughs> movie, there's a lot of cheesy, weird, like, supernatural stuff going on in this one, too. Well, the original idea, and I always found this interesting was that they wanted to create, like, this kind of B-movie, this kind of action B-movie that these guys saw, the filmmakers saw when they were younger. Yeah. And so all of these things that we see in the film, I think, tie into that. One of the new things that I caught on this latest viewing is that Indiana Jones has superhuman strength. Mm -hmm. When they're busting out of the tomb at Tannis, you know, he pushes this cinder block... Oh, yeah. And I can't imagine how much that thing weighs. I mean, what what do you think that is? Like, it's a cube, pure just stone, right? What What is it? Like, eight by eight by eight it's by heavy. eight? Like, I don't know. And well, I mean, and he also had just knocked over that uh, 
I guess it's supposed to be Anubis column okay. or no, it's a snake head, right? Yes, yes, yes. He knocked over that snake head thing. I'm it's like I'm back in the mummy right now with Anubis. <laughs> um he knocked over that huge snake statue, basically dislodging it from the floor. How did he do that? So, I mean, that took a lot of gumption. He didn't well. skip leg day. No, he did not. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, this this was just like all of these things I just took as it could happen. You know, I mean, that, that's one of the things about growing up in the 80s is you saw so many action films where people were able to do superhuman things. They took the worst punches, the worst falls, several bullets, and they were fine. Yeah, it just leads you to believe that it's all good, but it's, like, super not. So yeah. then you, like, break your arm out in the front yard because you try to imitate it or something. But it's, you know, I mean, and it's funny we did The Mummy because that, that carries into The Mummy with mm -hmm. people getting cut up but not bleeding and, yeah, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Well, it's, I mean, we see Indiana Jones take a bullet, I believe, twice in this film. You know, he takes it in the arm, and it's just kind of like no big deal. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's fine. And then he's just a little sore later <laughs> yeah, after he gets, it. like, you know, beaten, like, mercilessly by everything in the movie. I love the way that he packs. You know, <laughs> when he is going to go on the adventure, he puts his jacket, his gun, and his whip. That's just, it. That's, yeah. And, and then what I love is in the next scene, he's in this, like, really smart suit. You know? <laughs> we didn't see that part of the packing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there are all these, like, really just fun things about it. And, and the fact, again, that he is a teacher, he's a professor, mm -hmm. and he goes on these whirlwind adventures. Yes. You know, I mean, it's wonderful. It's fantastical. It's like a dream come true. But I don't think that everyone that, that studies archaeology gets to go on these type of adventures. No, probably not. I mean, I think that's that's what I was saying, I think, last week, that, like, movies really romanticize archaeology to a degree because you have this idea that, you know, yeah, you're studying old bones and artifacts and ancient civilizations, but you're also, like, having, like, this swashbuckling adventure at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's probably a lot more... You know, digging in a hole, you know, brushing dirt off an old thing. Yeah. Than, like, you know, running from a giant boulder wow. in a cave or whatever. That boulder. Yeah. That boulder was so big. Yeah. I mean, that scene is so good because it's exciting. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And in real life, I guess it was, too. We read a little trivia about but it's just like that was parodied, copied, yeah. like everything, you know, grew out of that boulder saying everybody loved it so much. And sometimes I think that's like the mark of a, a really good bit is that people can't stop wanting to do it again and copying it. Yeah, I mean, Indiana Jones is endlessly imitated. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just because it is a perfect 10 of a film. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was kind of afraid of coming into this podcast episode is that sometimes when we do a movie that we just really love mm -hmm. that's just really great it it could be really easy for it to deteriorate into just like hey john good movie <laughs> yep good one yep how about this part yep that was a good part how about this part oh yeah that was also a good part <laughs> you know we could just do that for like an hour and then just be like okay see you guys maybe next week um but <laughs> You know, we're trying to dig for something a little bit more in-depth than that. 
But overall, when we're watching it, it is kind of just like, wow, it's a good movie. <laughs> it is. It's just, I mean, well, one of the things, I mean, right from the beginning that catches your eye is we have the Paramount logo, right? Mm -hmm. We have the Paramount Mountain, and that cross dissolves into this mountain in Peru that's called Mount Shubit. Shubit. If, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. No idea. I've never even heard of it till this moment. Okay, yeah, I tried to look it up. You know, it's in Peru. You know, it it's over twelve thousand five hundred feet tall. I mean, it's it it's big. You know what I mean? Uh, and and it's a really impressive shot because it matches up to the logo so well. And they stay on this shot for a while, and we see Indiana Jones. You know, we see the back of him as he as he walks up, and we see the other adventurers. They're with him walking up. And, you know, we get, you know, Steven Spielberg, we get Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and it's, it, it really just builds from the beginning. It's letting you know you're in for something impressive that you haven't seen before. And something that um, we see a lot in films that, that really want to have this amazing buildup is that they don't reveal the face of the main character mm -hmm. for a while. And it takes a while before we actually get to see Indy's face. Yeah. You know, if I'm not mistaken, the first line of the movie actually is from Alfred Molina, you know, who plays Satipo in this film. Mm. Doc Ock himself, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's like a real build. So we know that we're going to get someone that is very impressive. Yeah, and then, of course, it's Harrison Ford, who at this point... We all knew and loved from Star Wars, yeah. Han Solo, and you know how could he be better as Indiana Jones? You know, I, I, it, it's yeah. kind of like the same Han Solo character just transported into a different location and time. Yeah, it, it just it takes the space out of it. Yeah, and it also it ups the intelligence because Han Solo is never seen as an intelligent character. Like, he's more of a street-smart character, mm -hmm. but Dr. Jones is intelligent. Yeah. You know, he, he's a learned man. Uh, he's a professor. And he uses his brain to solve all of these, all of these puzzles that he yeah. runs into. And honestly, it's funny to me that I never saw these movies until way later in life, because mm -hmm. this kind of stuff is like exactly what i love yeah like look at the video games that i play all sure. the time like i love tomb raider i love uncharted mm -hmm. these are indiana jones games oh yeah and when i was a little kid you know i think we talked about this before mm -hmm. like i didn't have the game systems when i was little but we had my dad was a big computer guy right so he had like the commodore 64 commodore 128 mm -hmm. and there were indiana jones games for that and i always played them there was one in particular that i remember playing like all the time so i understood who indiana jones was but i didn't see these movies until like <laughs> 18 years later or something that's a crime that's it just is. that's a it crime is. And it should be punishable by law. You know what I mean? Like, somebody should be able to come down and say, look. Somebody needs to be accountable for this. Exactly. Exactly. Heads will roll. You know? Heads will roll Because this, this is, like, my kind of stuff. Like, I love this kind of stuff. Like, being smart and also going on an adventure. Like, these are two things that I think are great. Yeah. They're, they're the best things that there are. You know? When, when I sat there as a kid watching this with my father, it was just like, you know, my wildest dreams came true. 
You know, I got to do everything that I wanted because I love traveling. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons that I love so many different series is because I love traveling. Yeah. Well, and it's Egypt and, the you know, all these places, too. Yeah. That were, like, interesting to us, you know, as kids. Like, I know that was always, like, what I wanted to study was, like, ancient civilization mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And seeing, like, them actually doing, like, hands-on work in these places was, like, so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, this was... It was... I don't know. It was, like... I don't know, it, it was a video game, but it was a movie. You know, like they managed to make these things concrete, you know, and they managed to just put them up on this massive screen and just blow your mind. Yeah, well, George Lucas is really good at that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is his story. It's something that we've talked about before in the context of Willow. Right. That word should be context. Of Willow is that <laughs> we are impressed with George Lucas that he'll, like, come up with this great story. I mm-hmm. mean, like, really great story. Oh, yeah. And then pass it over to somebody else to actually make the movie. In one way, I'm like, wow, that's so selfless and amazing. And in another way, I'm like, you know, I probably would be like, ugh, uh, it's so much work to make the movie. What if I just come up with a story and give it to my friend who I know will do a really good job? So, <laughs> either way... Whichever way George Lucas feels, I'm pretty impressed that he does it that way. Whether it's self-preservation or generosity to friends, I think it's really cool. And he is a great idea man. Like, he's super smart at knowing what people are going to want to see. And, like, between Star Wars and Indiana Jones, I mean, those are both home runs. Well, the fact that those two series ran... At the same time, yeah. we were still in the Star Wars saga Yeah, when Raiders of the Lost Ark took off. Yeah. I mean, whoa! It was just like we went from one to the other to the other. And originally, they didn't want to have Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones because they already had him for Star Wars. Right. And they were like, "I don't. we don't want to have it that just like Harrison Ford's our guy. Like, <laughs> we don't want to do this. And it's just like, you can't imagine the series... Without him, I mean, I've seen... Have you seen the screen test online with Tom Selleck and Sean Young? I have not. I have not. I knew it was Tom Selleck was the original cast. And I just... It's hard for me to wrap my head around it, again, Mm -hmm. because I never saw Indiana Jones until way later when it was already firmly entrenched in pop culture. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's never any other option of Indiana Jones. And also, I just think about Tom Selleck as a TV guy. Like, I think about him as Magnum P.I. <laughs> so I'm just like, Magnum P.I., Indiana Jones. I mean, like, he had the same type. He was, like, definitely, you know, this good-looking, like, adventure guy. Yeah. With, you know, seems like he has a brain in his head a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So I could see it. It's good casting. But it just, just, just like, does not compute. You know what I mean? Well, it was awesome because, you know, he had the stash in the screen (laughs) test. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's very solid. (laughs) He had to. Like, that was his trademark. Like, if Tom Selleck showed up without a mustache in the 80s, everyone would have freaked out. It would have been, like, my dad when he shaved off his mustache. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When I was, like, six. And I, like, started screaming because I didn't know who it was. I had the same thing with my dad. I had the same thing with my dad. He shaved his mustache. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what was going on. I wanted it to stop. You know, like the same thing happened on Sesame Street with Bert and Ernie. I don't know if you remember this. Bert was going out for, uh, for a job interview. And he actually, 
you know, like slicked down his hair and he dressed <laughs> up. And Arnie was like, who is this? Who is this? You know, same reaction. <laughs> that was you know? totally it. Yeah. I mean, we were so awful to my dad. <laughs> I was just like, grow it back now. You know? Like, we were just like, you can't come home until you have a mustache again. Like, everybody hated it. Yeah. It was really, <laughs> it was it was too much for us to handle. Yeah, it's his signature thing. And yeah, Tom Selleck, same thing. We would have all been like, Go home and don't come back until you have a mustache again. Well, that well, think about it. Indiana Jones would have had a mustache, you know, and that's it, it's just like it, it's incredible. And I, you know, it was a very brief clip that I saw of the screen test online, and the energy between Tom Selleck and Sean Young was excellent, and it, it was it was different. It, it seemed more like intense, and it seemed like uh, you know the the scene that they showed is when Indy first meets Marion. Okay. And there was a lot more anger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, she, like, fucking pushed Tom Selleck. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like so in it's, the bar scene? Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, That that's, yes. The first scene in the bar where he first sees her. So it's just so much different. It, it's just so much different to see that. It's interesting. Sometimes you almost wish you could, like, go to the alternate universe and see the other version of the movie and see what it was like. I would have watched this one. I totally would have watched this one. You know, and I've been like, okay, th- this is cool. You know what I mean? But it was just like Tom Selleck is just kind of like laying down the law. <laughs> you know, he's like, you're going to give me the medallion. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, this is how it it's is. It's funny. I mean, I yeah. just, I really can't imagine anyone being Marion except for Karen Allen, though. Oh, Karen like, Allen. What a godsend. She's amazing. She's great in like literally everything. Yes. She kind of looks like a humanized, like anime character. <laughs> Because she has, like, this big, giant eyes. And she just... I just love her attitude. Like, she's tough. She's awesome. She's super smart. Yeah. She, you know, is just ready for everything and anything. And I love that. Like, when they go to Cairo and she's, you know, got the monkey. Mm-hmm. You know, she's so fun. And she's so funny and light. And it's a kind of a good foil to Indy. Because he can be kind of heavy and serious, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, like, not always. And he gets off a lot of really good lines, you know. But overall, he's a lot more, like, mission-focused. Right. I mean, and we see that when he goes in and finds out that she's being held hostage by Belloc. Oh, man. And he leaves her there. Puts the gag back? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because he needs to go fulfill his mission, you know, which is kind of a move but you know she rolls with it and makes it work anyway well i mean karen allen is so incredible when you look at her career you know animal house right Mm -hmm. then she's in cruising right and then we see her in scrooged yep she was wonderful in that amazing and also before that star man oh yeah like i mean you know you can look through and it's just like every single role that she takes on, you remember Karen Allen. Yeah, and she and Harrison Ford, in my opinion, just really fit together in this. Yeah. You know, they they complement each other really well. Well, and I'm sure that's why when they did Crystal Skull, they reunited the two of them. Of course, it only makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, that's one of the reasons I like Crystal Skull, is to see the two of them together again. Yes, and they still have the same, like, hilarious kind of chemistry that they have in this. Yeah, and it's it's fun. It's fun. And it's like, again, we're dealing with a female character that is not helpless. No. You know what I mean? 
She shoots guns. She's kind of tougher than he is sometimes. Right? I mean, you know, the snakes. (laughs) When they're both down there with the snakes, they're both pretty worthless. (laughs) Okay, so this is interesting. So, at the beginning of the movie, okay, so Indy is running from all the guys that are trying to kill him, that Belloc sent after him. Yeah. After Belloc has stripped him of this idol. Freaking Belloc. Well, Belloc is a whole other can Always showing up to kind of steal the glory without doing any of the work. He's kind of like Lucy with the football, if you think about it. You know, just as frustrating. He sucks. But Paul Freeman does not. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, he's in everything, and he's incredible. I mean, again, you can never forget him from Hot Fuzz. Oh, my God. Best. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So, Indy is running from all these people. Belloc is sent after him, and he gets on the seaplane. So, like, you know, this real-life pilot named Fred Sorensen plays Jock Lindsay, you know. And (laughs) Indy gets in the other seat, and there's a snake there. And, And we're very early in the film. And then we see that Indy, after he went through this crazy cave with all of these dangers, all of these dead bodies, you know, just didn't, you know, flinch. Now that he's in this plane, he has the snake on his lap and he's freaking out. Yeah. (laughs) And then this guy, Jock, is like, oh, that's my pet snake, Reggie. (laughs) I love Reggie. (laughs) It's really, it is funny because like, especially this time, I was really thinking about his snake fear Yeah, when he goes into that cave at the beginning because they go through that freaking spider web mm, that's mm. enormous and horrifying. Oh my god, and then Alfred Molina has all those spiders on him? And that was his first oh. day of work. Oh my god. Whatever. I think this was maybe his first major feature film. Oh my god. And his first day of work was being covered in those tarantulas. And I think I would have just been like, yeah, I don't think I want to be an actor anymore. I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm okay. I'm going to just go get a job at KFC, you know, (laughs) putting together the buckets, whatever. At least I don't have to be covered in tarantulas because I would be a hundred percent done. I could actually deal with the snakes. I don't like them. I mean, mean, I'm not going to like hang out with them. Not in a big group anyway. Like, but one snake, like Reggie, I'm cool with Reggie. We can hang out. Reggie seemed docile. You know, Reggie was just kind of like, hey, man, what's up? But, you know, uh, you know, 18 tarantulas crawling on my back? I'll pass. Well, this franchise is known for really gnarly bugs, yeah, creatures. Well, and it does make sense, because you're, like, going through, like, these catacombs and caves and these, you know, places where these disgusting beasts live um and then yeah we get like in last crusade mm-hmm. that his dad sean connery is terrified of rats right. right well it's well it's interesting because last crusade echoes many of the themes of raiders you know it's like we're introduced to this new character we've got henry jones okay and again we've got a very intelligent man very focused on his work yes. right that's the thing that, that he's focused on. And so Henry Jones, Sean Connery, works diligently in his journal, you know, like trying to figure out the location of the Holy Grail, right? Yes. So it's like we have another religious artifact that we're after, you know, just like the first. Yeah. You know, and it's like we go through this maze, you know, that that's crazy. There's so many troubles that they run into, and, and, like, the final act of Last Crusade in that temple, 
You know, and it's just like what happens at the very beginning of Raiders when they go into this cave to get this idol. Yeah. You know, and again, Nazis, right? (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's so good. And again, we have a plane ride, right? You know, it's so much. If you're going to pick a villain, Nazis are always a good choice, I guess. But especially in this time period. And, but I mean, it might be sacrilege to Indiana Jones purists. But I actually think, as far as just pure enjoyment goes, I might say Last Crusade is my favorite of the movies. It's always hard for me to make that call. I have to say that I think this one will always stand out for me because I love Karen Allen as Marion. Of course. You know, and I think Paul Freeman as Belloc is incredible. We also have, you know, like our our secondary villain, which is so memorable. Oh, yeah. Tote. Yeah. Never knew his name. I, I know. I don't know how we missed this because we say this maybe like 20 times I don't together. know if they say it. I don't know if they say it in the movie. I don't know if they do. Well, they do because I read it on really? the subtitles. Or were they just, did they just put his name like that was him mm, talking? I mean, I think somebody said it. Anyway, okay. maybe I've never watched subtitles before, but now that I'm old and deaf, I would have to watch it with subs. Well, it's we live in an apartment, so I mean, the effects are so loud yeah. that, that like if we have it up, too loud where we could hear the dialogue normally when an explosion comes it shakes the entire complex yeah sound mixing on streaming services is insane to me and i don't know you know what's going on why like an explosion has to sound like you're inside the dynamite (laughs) but like talking is just like whispering it's a little nausea inducing sometimes but yeah tote i thought was interesting this time because He's German, and T-O-T, this is spelled T-O-H-T, Yeah. but Tot is the German word for dead, and this guy does kind of have this feeling of death around him. Well, he sure does. I mean, he, at the very beginning, where he gets the medallion, and it burns into his hand, and yeah. we see that later. Ugh. Okay, creepy. This guy takes out his portable hanger... And he has such a scary presence that you're like, oh, my God, what does this guy have? And then we realize it's just a hanger and he hangs his jacket on that it. That was the most ingenious joke in the movie to me. Yeah. Because every time I see it, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to take him out. <laughs> and then he just turns it into a hanger. And I'm like, oh, it's a hanger. Like, I don't remember that happening. Yeah. So, like, every time it happens, I'm like, ah. But, yeah, the guy just has, like, this aura of death. And I think that that is really cool that they kind of named him the word for dad. Well, let's talk about the double roles, the dual roles, if you will, in this film. That we never noticed until literally this time. Yes. So at the beginning of the movie, when uh, Indy and Satipo are like going to this cave, they have this other guy, Baranka, who is played by this actor, Vic Tablian. Hopefully I said that right. If not, sorry, Vic. Um, But he's kind of like, I don't know. Sorry again, Vic. But I kept calling him Dollar Store Fred Ward because he really (laughs) does look like some kind of, you know, random substitute version of Fred Ward. I wonder if he ever doubled for Fred Ward. He could have. They look very similar. I, mean, I thought the same thing. You I thought could tell the same them thing. apart if they were, like, right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he just really looks like him to me. So, 
That was what I thought about. So he kind of imprinted on me at the beginning of the movie at this time because of that. Yeah. And then later, when we were watching The Monkey Man, mm-hmm. who's the guy who's kind of in charge, like in control of the monkey and telling it what to do. Right. Same guy. That was, you know, it was just like, wow. You know, they gave him like a scar and an eye patch, you know, and it was just <laughs> like, and we were like, wait. You know, it, yeah. like we really caught it. I think it's because of the 4K resolution that we watched it in. Probably. This is the first time that I saw so many things like that. That I was like, oh. Well, and then Pat Roach right. also has like a double kind of a role. Um, famous stuntman that we've talked about before. Yeah, he was in Clash of the Titans. He's in like a million things. Yeah, and in this, he's playing the giant Sherpa, who's like one of Tote's henchmen, when they go to Marion's bar mm-hmm. um, to get the medallion. And I didn't realize that was him before, and this time you immediately clocked him. Well, it's just because I've become a lot more aware of him. Like, he's in Conan the Destroyer, and I was like, oh, there he is. He also was one of the villains in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He's in so many movies. And then in this, he's also the mechanic in that very memorable scene. Wow, what a fight. (laughs) Who's a giant dude. He's, like, fighting with Indy. Much bigger than him, and kind of gets chopped up by a propeller. Yeah. Which is a rough way to go, I'd have to imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just flying everywhere. I mean, what what kind of goes through your mind, I wonder, in those final minutes? Like, you start seeing, like, part of your body flying by, like... Well, you're probably in shock, and you hopefully don't really even know what's going on. Well, I read something or heard something years ago, which is totally creepy, which is if you're decapitated, I think you're still, like, able to see for, like, 10 seconds or something insane like that. Yeah. So it's like, what? So, like, ever since I heard that, you know, whatever the time period is, and if it's wrong, I would love that. But it, like, has got me thinking, you know, when you (laughs) see people die... Do you know what I mean? Like, seriously, do you just see, like, part of your bicep going oh, by? And you're gross. like, all right, well, that's what that looks like. You know, like, what happens? Ugh, it's awful. Yucko. Let's pass on that. <laughs> Moving on. We also have another guy that's not a dual role, just a single role, but I feel like we should call him out, which is uh, the wonderful William Hootkins. Yes, of course. Who was Porkins which is a terrible fat joke in Star Wars. Yep. And then I just realized this time in a rewatch that we have another terrible fat joke because his name in this movie is Major Eaton. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, as a a, uh, certified fat person, I'm both impressed and horrified (laughs) that they just keep putting this robust person in movies and then, like, hanging a lampshade on it with his name. It's kind of terrible. It's super lousy. Yeah. I mean, I'm fat, too, and I'd be like, really? I mean, you know, we also have him in Flash Gordon. I don't remember his name in that. And we also have Hopefully him... Hopefully it's not Beef McGee. <laughs> Beefy scientist? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then I do remember his name in Batman. He was Lieutenant Eckhart. Well, there you go. So that was like a real name. And also, you know, in Batman, they, I feel like they kind of modeled him after Orson Welles in Touch of Evil. Yes. And that was really cool. Yeah. And yeah. his name wasn't like fried bologna. So like <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Sandwich Sal. You know, I, I mean, it was like, well, what was interesting about this movie, again, because I'm more aware of William Hootkins in movies. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the guy. So 
when I saw him this time, I didn't realize that he was kind of steamrolling, you know, the the other guy that's with him the whole time. He, I know, I didn't really notice that either, but it was really funny because the two of them were, like, very different. Mm-hmm. One of the guys was kind of, like, friendly, but then, you know, Hoogans is all protocol and, like, getting to the point. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool that they had, like, it's a small role, but they had real personalities. Well, it always makes me think that they like to have a big person and a little person. That mm-hmm. That's, like, that's always a favorite. Yeah. You know, and that's definitely what we had here. Um, with William Hootkins in this, I really felt like this is a man of the 80s. Like, I, that's all I kept thinking about for some reason. Like, the suit, the haircut, the whole nine yards, even the yeah. pipe. That well, he, pulls he, gives, out. he gives you like a, a Martin Mall vibe. Ooh. Like a, a heftier Martin Mall. That's pretty good. I, like I, Colonel I, Mustard. Know. Like he could have been like a, he could have been like your second choice for Colonel Mustard and Clue. That's like food adjacent. So yeah, why, hey, not? why not? Yeah. Yeah. Mustard but, is locale though. So we would have had a, you know, <laughs> Colonel Brisket. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Brisket with the candlestick in the study. Yeah, yeah. Or should it have been uh, Colonel Brisket with the knife in the kitchen? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Colonel Brisket's carving someone up in there. <laughs> oh, my God. So yeah. awful. Oh, it is. It is. But it's funny that this actor, William Hootkins, was in all of these incredible landmark films. These are the movies that... We go back to, you know? And all he had to do was be called horrible names. Yeah. <laughs> like Porkins. How many memes, gifs, or gifs, however you want to go with that. You know, just like clips. How many have you seen of Porkins? With Porkins having, like, the cheeseburger on the dash. That's <laughs> so horrible. And a shake. It's so horrible. It's horrible, but hilarious at the same time. Yes. I mean, that's... I can't stop. I don't know. It, it's... Major Eaton, like, took me out, though, I have to tell you. Major Eaton stinks. It like, stinks. that's really, like... I mean, why didn't, they just, <laughs> why didn't he just, you know, load up a sandwich on the desk while they were talking? He should have. Well, you know, he should have, like, uh, made a sandwich like Eric Roberts and Pope of Greenwich Village. Everyone you know? should make a sandwich like Eric Roberts and Pope of Greenwich Village. <laughs> we should be doing that right now during the podcast. People would watch that. They would. People would watch They that. should. I yeah. love that scene. It's the best. Go go YouTube it or something if you don't know what we're talking about. Hmm. It's brilliant. All right. Well, back to the main main attraction of the movie, I guess. Um, but, you know, all these little things are what makes it really fun and cool, too. And the locations are yes. something I wanted to talk about because that's something I really love. Like, I feel like we don't do this anymore because everybody does CGI stuff mostly. Mm-hmm. But, like, I love it when they do, like, these location things. Same here. It's awesome. And, it's it. You know, it, it makes everything feel really real. And I have to say, like, at the same time, you know, I know they were going for the B-movie feel. Mm-hmm. And this movie, you told me, wasn't actually that expensive. So the film cost $18 million, according to IMDb. And then the worldwide gross was, like... What? Almost four hundred million. Yeah, I mean, this was a great payday. You nice know? return on the investment there. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and I think you know the location shooting probably saved money in some ways at the time because they probably could hire people that weren't like you know union or something. I don't know what they did. I don't know. 
But I think they had a lot of trouble anyway because people got really sick. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because that's the great scene with the sword guy. Oh, yeah. I love the story, yes. You know, the reason that this happened is because Harrison Ford was sick. So, like, there's this scene, I'm jumping completely to another topic for no reason. There's, like, a scene where Harrison Ford is, like, running through the city, and this humongous dude with a humongous sword, like, comes out to, like, you know, face him. Yeah. And he does, like, this huge move with the sword, and it's super impressive. And there was supposed to be, like, a whole fight that happened there, but Harrison Ford was having, like massive food poisoning or something and he felt like utter shit yeah so he was just like look what if i just shoot him (laughs) and spielberg was like absolutely let's do it and it's brilliant because it it just matches his personality you know he doesn't want to mess with this bullshit he just wants to move on and do the thing he has to do yeah i mean it really fits in And I think that it really worked out. I mean, this film has so many fantastic action sequences that, you know, to have something like that is great. You know what I mean? It's like it's like in comedy, like you give a long answer, then you give a short answer and it's funny, you know, and it's like uh, this movie really takes off when we end up with that fight with Pat Roach. And from there you know, up until the opening of the arc, I mean, we're locked in. And even the opening of the arc of itself, that, that's like the culmination. I mean, it is one amazing action sequence. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fight with Pat Roach, what we've talked about. And then we have Indiana Jones on a horse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he is going after this, like, uh, a truck carrier, like whatever. Like a convoy. Uh, I guess it's more than one. There's a bunch of trucks in a row mm-hmm. with all these people, and they're carrying all the equipment and stuff. And, of course, the Ark is included yeah. in one of them. And, you know, he jumps on to this truck with the Ark. He jumps on the canvas, gets in, fights the people, he's throwing them out. You know what I mean? And it's just nuts. It's nuts. Like, I, I've never seen anything like it so he gets into the cab he's fighting the driver's still behind the wheel and you know they're like jerking the wheel all over the place and they kind of crash through like a construction site you know and they knock over all these ladders and then they're both happy that they made it and they have this (laughs) moment where they both kind of look at each other like really proud i love that and then indy just like knocks them out of the truck um it and then it just keeps going the fight keeps going. More people come in. They knock Indy, you know, through the windshield. He's on the bonnet of the car. He's holding onto the grill. He goes underneath the car. That part is terrifying. He is dragging on the ground. He goes underneath the car. He's being dragged behind the car. Then he gets back up and goes again. You know, and it's just like, wow, wow. You know, and it's just like he gets back in the front. You know what I mean? He's driving yeah, again. Yeah, he fights his way back up. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I've just, I, I couldn't believe, you know, that that sequence. There's just, you know, and I mean, we're truncating it, but it's just incredible. Yeah. Because it's real action. It is. And it's like, you can tell this is like a real person doing stunts and stuff. And it's really freaking cool and it doesn't let up no like that's what you're saying and i fully agree with you it does not let up until you know 
they actually go to open the ark, really. Mm-hmm. And that part is, like, so terrifying. It, it's just, like, you don't know you don't know how they can take it any further. I mean, one thing that, that we didn't mention is that, you know, after this fight in the plane, Marion gets taken hostage again. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, because Belloc kind of has a thing for her. Yeah. For some reason. It, uh, Belloc, yeah, Belloc is, like really nice to Marion. He's also a creeper. You know, he gives her a dress to change into when he has her hostage. Which is weird. And then he's kind of like looking in the reflection of the mirror and you're like, come on, dude. Yeah, Belloc. That would be a weird creeper. Yeah, and, and it's just like, what's that shit? But like, he keeps saving her too. Yeah. Because he's like, you know, I don't know, thinks he has a chance. It, it's very weird. Well, I mean, they also, you know, they have it right in the film. Belloc says to Indy, we're not really that different. Yeah, that's true. He keeps saying that. He says it more than once, I think. Yeah. You know, and it'll be like, oh, here we are again, and on all this kind of stuff, you know. Well, it's something where it actually got me thinking this time, because I never thought of that. I just thought that was something that, you know, a bad person would say to justify their actions. And it is, but at the same time, there's something to it as well. Right. Yeah, it's drawing your attention to their similarities so that you can understand their differences. Well, like, Indy's allegiance is to um, the museum. It, it And it's also to good. He wants to do the right thing always. He will always do the right thing. And anything that he gets, he wants to go to the museum so people can study it and they can understand it and they can appreciate it. You know, he's like for the people. Belloc is all for himself. You know, he's working with the Nazis. You know, that's, I mean, you're, you're yeah. trash. The ends justify yeah. the means for him. It's all about getting what he wants for what the purpose he wants it for. It's not for the betterment of society. It's not to further education. No. And that's all Indiana Jones really cares about, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, with the Nazis, they even say to Belloc at one point, you know, it's like, you're not running the show here. You know, this isn't like your operation. Yeah, because he keeps forgetting that. Like, he thinks he's a big fish here. They keep reminding him, like, you are literally just doing Hitler's bidding right now. Well, he's really got them on a string. Belloc is a master manipulator. Because he's able to get people time and time again to be on his side. At the very beginning of the movie, when Indy comes out of the cave in Peru, you know, all the the locals that are there that are working with him, with working with Belloc, because they think Belloc is like some good guy that's going to help them in some way. Because he knows their language and he's talking to them in their own language and stuff, but... You know he's just taking advantage of them. Absolutely. Indy says as much. He's like, these people, they have no idea how horrible you are. And Belloc's like, yeah, it's pretty good they don't know that. (laughs) You know, so it's just like, okay. And then we also have, of course, that both of them, you know, are into Marion. You know, I mean, so it's, it's, uh, well, and again, we have Belloc is always dressed to the nines. And Indy can dress up as we've seen. But usually he's in his work gear. You know, he's in his leather, you know, jacket he's got his hat and his pants and his you know yeah he's there to work yeah he's always dressed to work or you know if they're in egypt and they're going to 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 try to find the well of souls he's like wearing like native gear you know so he can blend in he doesn't want to stick out no that that's the thing he just wants to be there and do what he has to do well talking about blending in that's another part of the film I want to talk about. So at the dig site, 
okay, when they're in Egypt, all of the Nazis are working, you know, and they're trying to find the Well of Souls. Mm-hmm. And so Sala, who we haven't talked about. He's amazing. You know? Jonathan, John Reese davies Incredible. Incredible. I mean... He's so good. Of course, you know, you know him from Lord of the Rings. As Gimli. Mm-hmm. My axe. Yes. I love him. My axe. I, <laughs> he's so good. And in this, he he's really a good character as well. Like, they really give him a good amount in this. He's very likable. Yes. And he also saves Indy from eating a poison date. Yes, which kills the monkey. I, okay, so the monkey. I can't believe we had an evil monkey that did like a, a salute to the Nazis. I was like, oh my God, this is the deepest evil. Because, it is. It is. Yeah. It's like, how could you do this to us? Like, as we probably discussed incessantly, John and I love animals. Yes. Of pretty much all sorts. Yes. Except spiders and roaches. And <laughs> <laughs> they're not animals, they're gross. Um, but. Pretty much all other animals we like. Mm-hmm. And monkeys are, like, high on the list. Absolutely. We like little, you know, so you get this cute little monkey, and then you he's evil. Like... Yeah. Like, I'm, I mean, that was the unkindest cut of all. Oh, yeah, he's terrible. I mean, he's, like, you know, signaling to the Nazis where Marion is when she's hiding. I mean, this is Like, we lousy. trusted you, monkey. We trusted you. And it's, like, I have to say with uh, Vic... You know, our man who was at the beginning of the film, and then also the the monkey master. <laughs> what the fuck is David? He's called the monkey. I think he's just called the monkey man. Okay. So we also have, you know, Vic, who we see at the beginning of the film, right? As Baronka. As Baronka. And then we see him, you know, later as the monkey man. You know, this again is a person that we see as a villain twice, you know, just like Pat Roach. So yeah. you're like, okay, you're a villain. You know, it's easy. Yeah. But, like, with the monkey, you know, it's not a dual role. But at the same time, I just never would have thought that the monkey was bad. Yeah, you know how what I mean? could you have, like, a two-faced monkey? Yeah, it was It was like he was just really, like, playing both sides. And even still, when he died, I was very sad. I was yeah. like, oh, no, the evil monkey. Well, the monkey actually has uh, one of his hands over his eyes. So <laughs> I'm thinking that he was really well-trained. You know what I mean? And it was just like he was, like, knew he was acting. So he just covered his eyes. Maybe sure he didn't. was very remorseful in death. <laughs> Maybe he was told he wasn't going to make it to the sequel, you know, and uh, that was that. He was, was upset that. about it. He's just like thinking about his residuals going out the window. <laughs> hey, monkey, you're fine. There was a big return on the 18 million. It's right there. You know, this has nothing to do with, with monkeys or betrayal, but I enjoy the fact that Indy has this thing where he can't find clothes that fit. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Yes, yes. I mean, the part that I always remember is when he's um, got off the submarine and he's trying to blend in. Right. And he puts on this tiny coat. And it's so small, it's like the coat of a child or something. And he doesn't have a shirt on, so, like, his chest hair is just awful. And this guy's like, what are you doing? You know, and he's like... Uh, and then he just beats that guy up and takes his clothes. Yeah, thankfully that, you know, soldier had clothes that would fit him. So yeah. it's, you know, I, I really enjoy that. Although still no shirt underneath, which looked a little awkward to me. <laughs> you do what you can, you know, in it the worked. tough times. He made it work. Yeah, it was, I, I mean, I love, I love the humor in this. You know, I do really love those quick moments where you get to laugh. 
Yeah. And that's and that's one of them. You know, I also enjoyed the whole story that we had with this submarine. Because, you know, at this point, we've got around, I'd say about, I don't know, about 40 minutes. But we're, you know, we're kind of in roughly the last quarter of the film. Yeah. And we're on a submarine. Like, wow. I didn't expect to be on a submarine in this movie. Yeah. Well, in which he swims to from the boat. Yeah. And jumps on. And then they, you know, go into the, I don't know, parking lot for submarines, whatever you would call that. <laughs> the submarine parking lot. So actually, what, what I was talking about was the time he actually got on the boat, because I like the boat. But yeah, the submarine, that's even later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's after. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's just like... It, it's just like this quick thing that they throw in. It's just more stuff keeps happening. I mean, that's what I... I think that's what makes this the most successful movie, okay, mm -hmm. is the story overall is rather simple. First, he's looking for the medallion. Mm -hmm. Then he gets it. Mm -hmm. And he's looking for the well of souls. Yeah. And he finds it. Mm -hmm. And then once they found that, then, you know... They're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. It's yep. all right there. <laughs> they go find it right where it's supposed to be and dig it up. And then it gets taken away and he needs to get it back. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the synopsis of the story. But the things that keep happening to pop up and give them trouble are what makes the movie great. Is that it's just this non-stop, just... <laughs> barriers to achieving their their very small list of goals well when they're walking around the marketplace in egypt and these people out of nowhere just start attacking them yeah you're like whoa you know it, it keeps you on your toes this movie and i love again that we keep moving and we keep moving to entirely different locations yeah you know and then you know at the very end of the film where belloc you know has this ceremony set up to open the ark of the covenant it actually reminds me a lot of Hellboy. Yeah, okay. Remember that? So it, it's like, I was like, oh yeah, this kind of reminds me of that ceremony. Because, you know, we had, you know, Nazis, once again. We had all the cameras because they wanted to document yes. the event. Yeah. You know, and the first time that I saw that scene with Ark of the Covenant was with my dad in the theater. You know, I had no idea where we were going. You yeah. know, I mean, the film is amazing because right before this ceremony, Indy catches up to, you know, the Nazis and Marion, and he has a rocket launcher. Yeah. A rocket launcher aimed at them. Yeah. You know, so you're just like, wow, where are we going? <laughs> you know, where are we going? Then like, we see, how do you get out of that? No. And then you see uh, Belloc. It looks like he eats a bug and keeps going. Oh, yeah. Which uh, I guess was an editing trick, sort of. But a fly did land on Paul Freeman's face. And wow. kind of crawl toward his mouth. And they cut out a couple of frames where you saw it fly away to make it look like he ate it. Wow. I, I mean, it's super cool because Belloc is a smooth character. You know, again, an excellent villain makes the film. And the Nazis obviously are villains. But the main villain is Belloc because he is controlling the Nazis. Well, and I think that that was just one of those happy accident things that happens. When you're making a movie, um, because, you know, I associate flies on someone with, like, decay or death yes, or something. Yes, yes, yes. And this is, like, the last time that he's going to be okay, because he's about to get torched. Yep. When he opens the arc. 
Not that you know that the first time you see the movie, no, necessarily. No, not even close. But watching it again, it's like, oh yeah, he's about to have a lot of flies, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, when they opened up, you know, the Ark, right? And then you saw these things flying around. And, you know, an Indian Marion are in the back and they're tied up on this post. Yeah. You know, and Indy's like, don't look at it. You know, you're like, what? what is this? What is inside of here? Well, that made me think of, like, Lot's wife in the Bible, where oh. she's not supposed to, to turn around and look, and she does, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Oh. So I think they were doing a Bible reference there, that you know, telling Marion not to look. And also it's practical, because... You know, any if you like look at look upon that when you're not supposed to, mm -hmm. it's gonna like destroy you, and that's what happens. Well, the scariest part of that to me is when they open the ark and we see inside, and then it looks like I, I don't know a solar system and an explosion. Mm -hmm. Like that to me, like. I'm like, the anticipation, I'm like, all right, what is going to come out of here? Well, it's, yeah, because, like, it's been a build-up, like, this whole time. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, like, what these people thought that they were going to do. Like, you know, Belloc says the reason he wants the Ark is because it's like a radio transmitter to God. Mm -hmm. And yet, I mean, I'm trying to wonder, like, what he thought that was going to get him. I don't know, because he is a villain, and... It's like if you are religious, you know, I, I don't believe that your God is going to be in any way a bad person. They're going to want to do the right thing. So, I, yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, I guess, I guess in a way it could be like, you know, I think that Christians and even though, you know, this was like a Jewish artifact, I'm thinking more about the way that Christians, some Christians think about God. It's kind of like a vending machine, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, okay, okay. You, like, ask for something, and then you get it if you ask, you know, the right way, um, which is not the way I think about things, but I do know people like that in real life. Sure. Um, so maybe maybe that's Belloc's thing, is that he thinks, you know, I can just ask it for whatever I want, and it's going to make me super powerful, because I'll... You know, it's almost like a genie in a bottle granting him wishes or something. Well, here's another one that's creepy that, that I'm kind of building on what you said. So let's say you do contact God and God talks to you. He's talking to you or she's talking to you. And like you have this information, then you're going to disseminate this information to everybody. So you are seen as the voice of God. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, that is a tremendous power. And that could be what he was going for. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like in a Book of Eli, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants the Bible because they say it's the most powerful book. And then they have, you know, all of the strength. Because they have this knowledge. Or it's like The Stand. We we are watching The Stand miniseries right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I've read the book and everything. But a big part of that, that movie, book, miniseries, whatever, is that the character of Mother Abigail speaks for God, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's why Randall Flagg is always targeting her. Is because he thinks that if he can remove her, then her people will no longer be able to, and you know, get the messages that God wants them to have. Okay. So, yeah, there is like a powerful 
you know, ness and being the mouth of God, the mouthpiece of God. Yeah, and also, I mean, even even more like Belloc would, you know, then be able to completely manipulate Hitler because they explained that he was very interested yeah. in all of this religious stuff. Well, you know? he was. Like, I mean, I believe that Hitler was searching for, like, the sphere of destiny and yeah. things, and, and we've seen this in other movies, sure. too. That, like, Hitler was looking for these powerful artifacts and had a belief in the supernatural and, and different things like that. So it makes sense that Belloc would want to be able to have that and then, you know, continue his manipulation. That's very smart. So uh, really not related to religion at all. <laughs> uh, Marion, she can put away some booze, huh? Yes. And what I like about that is that we have that set up and then it comes back later yeah so when we first meet her she's in a drinking contest with some guy yep and she puts him under the table absolutely i mean she does get kind of hammered but they've really gone through some booze well is that a fake out that's what i wondered this time is it a fake out i think or it's is it... a i think it's a partial fake out but i think okay. she's pretty rammed afterwards <laughs> okay. like when she's putting stuff away she seems like she's she's kind of still loaded a little bit okay you know not like falling down drunk like mm -hmm. like the guy that she beats yeah but you know drunk but later with belloc it's a total fake out yeah, she's just playing the game, you know. I mean, they're just drinking one bottle. Come on. No, that's nothing. She could do that in her sleep. She's got, you know, she's hardcore. It reminds me of another movie that I really like. Mm -hmm. Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Okay. When they're in, like, this outback kind of shithole town. Mm -hmm. And Bernice, played by Terrence Stamp, gets into a drinking contest with this minor woman. Mm -hmm. You know, that works in the mine and kind of out drinks her and it's hilarious. That's a great movie that we probably should talk about at some point as well. Yeah, I love that movie too. But I, I definitely think they were referring back to Marion's drinking contest in that. Well, again, this movie does such a great job of establishing everything right off. Like, again, I mean, it's just like from the beginning, we're in Peru, we're searching this cave... There are booby traps. There is treasure. You know, there is danger. And we also see the fallibility of Indiana Jones. I should bring mm -hmm. that up. Because he has this bag of sand, right? When he gets to the idol at the beginning of the film, you know, when they're in Peru. And it's like it's on that pedestal after he's gone through all of these other booby traps. And so he has this little bag of sand and he eyeballs it. You know, then he takes a little sand out and he's yeah. like, yeah, this is just right. You and know, you're like, wow, he really knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, so he picks up the idol and he puts down the bag of sand and it seems okay, you know, for a second. Um, but he misjudged. Yeah. And so the, the stone uh, pedestal starts to sink, you know, where the idol was. And then the entire cave just goes crazy. You yeah. know, everything starts falling apart and all the things that he ever so carefully worked through you know, to get past, you know, are just, like, coming at them full force. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, that's a great scene. And then, yeah, it's, like, that sets up everything because as soon as he gets out of the cave, Belloc is there to foil him. Yep. Which is freaking annoying. Yep. And it also sets up, you know, that Indy was there to get something for the museum, not for, you know, his own, 
you know, edification or his own wealth or anything like that. Yep. Whereas Belloc is just really psyched that he has something shiny that he can trade in. Absolutely. Know? We also establish that Indiana Jones has friends. Because, I mean, Jock the pilot, I'm sure, you know, we paid him. But it, it seems like they have a friendly banter, like they knew each other. Yeah. And then, once again, because of Reggie the snake, we know Indy doesn't like snakes. Yes. But I still can't believe Jock the pilot never came back. I can't either, because he had that funny bit where he's fishing. Yeah. And he finally was catching something, and that's when Indy showed up and needed to escape quickly. It's a really funny scene. I think we could have done more with Jock. I, it made me think Maybe of Uncharted. Maybe he'll be back. And the next one. That yeah. would be awesome if they brought him back. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of like Sully from Uncharted. Right? It I just, see it, that. It has like, it has that, that, that vibe to it. Um, yeah, he just seemed like a, just a regular dude. He had on his Yankees hat. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. kind of hanging out. And, and when I fly. say Sully from Uncharted, I'm referring to the game. Yeah. Not the movie. We don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, of course, right after that, we see Indy in the classroom teaching a class. Yeah. Which yep. is cool, because you just saw this, like, dude, like, on this adventure with this whip, and, like, he's super cool, and now he's, like, in a classroom, like, teaching a class. Yeah. With, like, all these women who are in love with him, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Right. It, the lady has love you written on her eyelids, so yeah. she keeps shutting them, and he keeps seeing them, and it distracts him. Yeah, and I was just like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was like, okay. And then we have Marcus come in, and then Marcus, you know, is ready to buy pieces for the museum. Yes. You and know, that's his, and his friend. Yep. And also, all Indy wants to do is make enough money so that he can go to Marrakesh, where he thinks Belloc would have sold the idol that he was after. Yeah. And that's all he's looking for. Yep. Like, that's what I really like about him is that he, he just has this kind of single mindedness. Of just doing his job that he really loves, mm-hmm. you know, and the only thing that he's working for is to keep pursuing that. Well, and then Marcus then is like, we've got some people from the army that want to talk to you. Then they get the whole setup of how, you know, Hitler is after the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. you know. And then Marcus convinces them to fund Indy to go and get it. And furthermore, convinces them that once the Ark is retrieved, they will be able to keep it for the museum. And at the very end of the film, again, it didn't stand out to me until this time. That is the biggest disappointment for both Marcus and Indy. Yes, that they don't get to keep the Ark for the museum, which sucks. Yeah, because it's like, you know, we paid you really well, and they're kind of like, yeah, but, you know, this is what we wanted. And, And so it's like I really felt the loss of that of that knowledge you know because that's what they wanted they wanted to study they wanted to learn they wanted to have other people see this i mean and when they even made the deal at the beginning mm-hmm. a big facet of that deal was you know setting things up for the museum although considering the power that did come out of the ark i think it's probably better that it didn't go i agree with you well and they also press major eaton as to you know what is happening with the ark and they say that they have people studying it or looking at it and you know they major eaton is like oh you know that's all i'm gonna say or whatever and then we cut to this uh, warehouse where the ark is you know nailed into this crate and it's just wheeled you know down the aisle of this massive warehouse 
that you're guessing all of these are very dangerous items. Which is really smart on part of the filmmakers as a sequel setup because you have the idea that every artifact in that room has some crazy story behind it. And I kind of would, ex I did expect, because I didn't watch these until much later, I, I expected that the next movies would just be going back, you know, to that warehouse to find something and follow the story of that. Mm. But the warehouse doesn't really come back until Crystal Skull, in which the skull, I guess, is inside that warehouse. And that's where it comes from. So, I mean, this is a gorgeously shot film. Oh, yeah. The director of photography, Douglas Slocum. Yeah. He actually shot uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. So he does great work in the desert. Absolutely. Clearly. Which, honestly, I think is a special talent because, you know, sand everywhere, like different kind of light. Mm. So he does a good job because this looks great and Jesus Christ Superstar also looked great. Yeah, and he did Great Gatsby, which is incredible, non-desert work. You Not know? a desert at all. Yeah, and he did Rollerball, the James Conn Rollerball. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's neat when you get to look at a film like this. And again, the resolution that we got to enjoy it in, the 4K really added a lot for me. It, it was huge for me as well, because, I mean, we've seen this movie a lot of times. Many times. And this kind of made me notice things I never noticed. Mm-hmm. In great detail. Like, things were, like, scarier. Like, the spiders were grosser. Yep. You know, and overall, I thought the effects really held up. They do. They do. Particularly the Ark of the Covenant. You know, where you see, you know, this spirit, and it, it looks like this nice woman, then it turns into death. You know, and again, if you want to talk about something that's been parodied a million times, it's the face is melting The off. face melting, yeah. And I never saw Belloc's head explode before. I never saw it like this either. I didn't really know what happened to Belloc. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remembered head Nazi dude, whose name I don't remember, and tote, like, melting, because it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it looks super real and gross. It was, that was such a thing. Like, I mean... Everyone was like, oh, wow. And then some of the parents were like, I don't know if we should see that because the face melter thing. I don't know if you're old enough. And I was like, what? Well, I think it was scary. Like, were you scared by that? Hell yes, I was scared. I was yeah. there with my dad. And we're like, wow. <laughs> you know well, mean? I just know you're like uh, kind of uh, susceptible to scary stuff sometimes, too. Yeah. Well, it's funny. When I was younger, I actually used to not be as much. I used to be able to just like sit down and just watch horror movies all night. Like, I would sit there and watch, like, a disgusting horror movie where people are ripped open and I'm just, like, <laughs> eating a pepperoni pizza and I don't have a thought in the world. You know, I was almost like one of those coroners you see in a movie. Yeah. You know, like the fat coroner with a sandwich. I was him as a Played kid. Played by, like, William Hootkins. Yes, William Hootkins, M. Emmett Walsh. Dr. Beefy. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Beefalo. Dr. Be Chunkman. <laughs> Dr. Chunkman, Dr. Yeah. Hefty Chunkman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like the person would just say it like with a real straight face. Just eating the sandwich, the lettuce has fallen into the body cavity. Yeah, like you go to shake their hand and you realize there's like lettuce on your hand. Yeah. And then you just kind of wipe it on your jacket. Yeah, it's probably mayonnaise oh, on your hand instead. Even better. Yeah, and then just say, yeah, my name's uh, Dr. Hefty Chunkman, pleased to meet you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good scene, it's a good scene. But, you yeah, know, it's... Scene. It's yeah. scene. But it's like, I, um, I used to not have that. But then, you know, the older I got... Like, if I was watching a horror movie, I really don't like eating meat while I'm watching a horror movie. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because my mind then starts to be like, oh, wow, what are you oh, eating? Oh, God, What's people going are on? also meat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get it. Well, I think I got more sensitive as I got older, too. But I think, yeah, I don't I don't have any reference for what I would have thought about face melting because I didn't really see it until much later. It's it, Face melting is just something that I, I never forgot. And it also just, it made me just think about, like, um... I don't know why it made me kind of think about almost like a water park. Cause it's almost just like, it's just like water. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. water, but it's very fluid the way it just, just yeah. pours off. It is, you know? And I, I would always remember that. Well, it was very smart, uh, visual effects and very smart the way they did it. And it looks cool and creepy and gross and it still holds up. The only thing I would say that I felt didn't quite hold up in 4k was the dead impaled, uh, Satipo, Alfred Molina. Okay. At the beginning, it kind of felt like, okay, it was definitely a dummy. But I'm sure that they never thought it would be that clear, you know? No, no. And it's, and again, it's the shock of it. Because, again, I'm a kid. I'm four years old when I see this. I don't have all the information I have now, you know, but I don't really remember anything being like that. Yeah. Like, the grossest thing that I can think of, honestly, that wasn't a straight-up horror movie prior to that would be the bathroom scene in Scarface, mm, yeah, which I didn't God. see till much later. Yeah. Well, thank God. I'm glad your dad didn't take you to the Ruth Gordon flick to see Scarface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I mean, it came out. It was funny. If you were alive, then I can't remember what year it is. When what? When Scarface came out. Oh, Scarface, I'm pretty sure, came out in 1980. Okay, so you would have been three, you know. I mean, it was on television a lot, and I watched it on television, and the edited version of Scarface is wonderful. It's it, great, but it's great not fun. because it's a great movie, but because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the how'd you get that scar eating pineapple? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's it right there. I mean, I love, I love that kind of stuff. That's, like, our favorite. Yeah. With the um, censorship lines that they insert i think that's fun i enjoy that too i definitely say my favorite sequence scene in the movie would be the opening scene at the cave you know from when we go from the paramount logo to mount shabet we see everyone we have this build up to seeing indy then we go into the cave and we see all of these booby traps that mm -hmm. they managed to get around one by one swinging over the chasm you know getting the idol and then, again, after all the care that was taken to get to the idol on the way out, just running for your life. Yeah. And then you get betrayed by Satipo. And I was like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? And it was just like, how is he going to get out of here? Like, I couldn't believe that he actually made it out of that hole on that kind of branch. Oh, God. I know. That, that root, terrifying. really. That root yeah. that was just in the floor. I was like, ooh, because he's pulling. And then it just keeps coming out. And you're like, oh, my God, is he going to fall? It's such a great start of a movie because mm -hmm. it just puts you in like you know in fifth gear you're just like careening into the movie that's <laughs> saying yeah i like all the puzzle stuff one of my favorite scenes which is like because i'm a super nerd person is when indy is um has the medallion on the staff and he's like solving the puzzle of where the Well of Souls is. Okay. Um, for me, that's just really exciting, and I think it is because I played Tomb Raider, like, and Uncharted, and 
you always have these kind of missions like this where you mm -hmm. have to like get an artifact and go to the location and solve the puzzle to find out where you're going next. And that's what he's doing, you know, and he's got like his notebook out and all his notes are in there. Yeah. And, and you know, when he gets it and everything like lights up, it's just like so exciting, you know? And I felt like that really kind of connected us back to last week with the mummy. Mm -hmm. um, I was noticing, which I hadn't really thought about, which is kind of silly because the reason, you know, I saw the mummy and then t like, you know, two days later is the first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those movies are very connected. Like I, I just, we talked about it a little bit last week. Yeah. But when we actually watched Raiders again, I really was thinking about how much they have in common. Yes. You know, even that part where um, Evie is using the mirrors just to light up the crypt that they're in. Right. Kind of made me think of the Well of Souls when, like, the light hits the medallion and it spreads out into the room and, and lights up the location of the Ark. That's that, cool. Well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that... That's like a perfect connection right there. And again, the power of knowledge, the power of the book, you know, because Indy has his book just yeah. like his dad has his book. You know, it's just like smart people have books and books are power. So this is why we have 82 journals. Yes. With no writing in them. <laughs> well, sometimes we put like a quick thing in there and we, <laughs> we never use it again. I but. don't. I'm, I'm like... I need to think of something worthy to write in this book. Yeah, when the journal... I'll get another notebook that I can use, and then I'd feel the same way. <laughs> Which is why we have a house full of blank books. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, I, I when I have one that's so nice, I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's I don't a want thing. to ruin it. You know, it's a crazy writer thing. Yeah, anyway. yeah. I mean, I think that we've covered a lot of ground on this episode. I feel like. You know, there's probably other things that I could come up with to say, but it might continue to devolve into, what a great movie. Yup. Um, as we, you know, feared at the beginning, but <laughs> I think we managed to avoid this up to this point, so maybe we quit while we're ahead. <laughs> I think that's smart. I think that's smart. So, I know I usually set up next week, um, but at this moment, that's kind of up in the air. I've cut out all the coughing, so you can't hear me, but I kind of am still dealing with some post-COVID, long COVID cough stuff and have to go and get myself checked out this week. I'm hoping that I'll be great and we'll be back on our normal schedule, but it is possible that we may have to do a little short hiatus uh, or even maybe a not short hiatus. I don't know yet. Um, so we'll find out. <laughs> within the next few days and hopefully I feel well enough uh to to be on schedule but if not just keep an eye on our Instagram page and we'll let you know what's going on and so until next time we talk to you stay comfy stay comfy everybody <laughs> <laughs>